Talking Back. I'm your host, Dr. Paula Sperry. For the next half hour, I invite you to join me as we explore health issues in the news and learn from those involved in keeping our community healthy. Our goal is not to diagnose or to suggest treatment, but to celebrate your body's innate potential to heal itself. Hello and welcome to Talking Back. My name is Dr. Paula Sperry and today we're going to be covering some pretty important and interesting issues in the news. E-cigarettes and vaping. Are they safer? Ginger joins turmeric in helping with diabetes type 2 and a retrospective study providing evidence of a tremendous influence of ivermectin when used in Peru and India with the COVID pandemic. Doctors confused over post-COVID heart issues and vitamin D. It's a sunshine superhero. Well, Talking Back is in its 33rd year, I believe, of bringing you issues in the news and interviews from local community healthcare practitioners of the alternative sort. Well, let's get right into it. E-cigarettes, are they safer choices? This August 17, 2023, a study conducted by Ohio State University that found that teens who are using e-cigarettes could begin showing symptoms like shortness of breath and bronchitis in as little as 30 days. The problem is that these young vapors are inclined to believe that they're choosing a healthier way to smoke, but it's just not true. The overall perception out there is that e-cigarettes are better than cigarettes but nothing is for free, says pediatrician at Providence St. John's Health Center in Santa Monica, California. The immediate question is, how are these children getting a hold of these health-damaging devices? Could the tobacco industry still be behind this? Now let's take a look at breast cancer screening for women over 70. It's not without risks, according to new research from Yale School of Medicine's Copper Center. Although some guidelines recommend continuing screening for older women, a new study emphasizes the importance of assessing potential harms associated with testing, such as overdiagnosis, which researchers say can negatively affect your quality of life. The findings were published August 7th in the Annals of Internal Medicine. The goal of this work was to quantify the risks of overdiagnosis associated with screening mammography among older women, said the first author of the paper, Alana Richmond. She's an assistant professor of medicine at Yale School of Medicine and a member of the Yale Cancer Center. She states, Overdiagnosis refers to a phenomenon where we find breast cancers through screening that never would have caused any symptoms. Overdiagnosis can occur when cancers grow very slowly or if a person's life expectancy is short. Finding these breast cancers can lead to worry that can result in intensive invasive treatments without improving the length or quality of life. The findings from this study emphasize the need for a careful evaluation 
of the benefits and harms of screening older women, Richmond says. The study included over 50,000 women who had no previous history of breast cancer and had recently undergone screening. The researchers compared the incidence of breast cancer between women who continued screening and those who did not. The analysis used data from the National Cancer Institute's Surveillance, Epidemiology, and End Results Medicare Registry. Among women aged 70 to 74 years, the researchers found that only 6 out of every 100 women who had received regular mammography screening were diagnosed with breast cancer, compared to about 4 cases per 100 unscreened women. This higher rate of breast cancer diagnosis among screened women suggests that about 31% of breast cancer cases among screened women aged 70 to 74 would not have likely caused any symptoms or harm. The study further reveals that 47% of breast cancer diagnosis in women 75 to 84 and 54% of diagnoses in women aged 85 and older were overdiagnosed meaning that these cancers were unlikely to become symptomatic or cause any health problems during the life of the patient. The study did not show statistically significant reductions in the result of dying of breast cancer among women who were screened. Quote, While our study focused on overdiagnosis, it is important to acknowledge that overdiagnosis is just one of many considerations when deciding whether to continue screening for breast cancer. A patient's preferences and values, personal risk factors, and overall balance of risks and benefits from screening are also important to take into account when making screening decisions, Richmond says. This research was supported by the National Cancer Institute, and this was reported on August 7th of 2023. study published in the International Journal of Food Sciences and Nutrition revealed that a popular kitchen spice, ginger, may be effective treatment for the prevention of diabetes, including its complications. Ginger is in the same plant family that includes the medicinal powerhouse turmeric, and which only recently has been proven to be 100% effective in preventing the development of type 2 diabetes in pre-diabetics, according to a study published in the American Diabetes Association's own journal, Diabetes Care. In the new ginger study titled, The Effect of Ginger Consumption of Glycemic Status, Lipid Profile, and Some Inflammatory Markers in Patients with Type 2 Diabetes Mellitus, 70 type 2 diabetic patients were enrolled in a double-blinded, placebo-controlled clinical trial the objective of which was to assess the effect of ginger consumption on sugar and fats in the blood, along with some common inflammatory markers associated with the condition. The trial participants were divided randomly into the ginger group and a control group, either receiving 1,600 milligrams of ginger or 1,600 milligrams of a placebo daily for 12 weeks. The ginger treatment significantly reduced the fasting plasma glucose, the hemoglobin A1c, and blood insulin levels. It also had an effect on triglycerides, total cholesterol, C-reactive protein, 
and prostaglandin E2, which are both markers of chronic inflammation. But the researchers concluded ginger improved insulin sensitivity and some fractions of lipid profiles and reduced inflammatory markers in type 2 diabetic patients. Therefore, ginger can be considered an effective treatment for the prevention of diabetes complications. Ginger is now proven to have anti-diabetic properties. Just enter the two search terms, diabetes and ginger, into a website, pubmed.gov, just to see the numerous results there. Additionally, research on ginger's cousin turmeric on the National Library of Medicine's pubmed.gov database. So, how much ginger to use? The amount of ginger used in the study amounted to 1.6 grams in a culinary dose, equaling approximately a quarter of a teaspoon orally in capsules. Higher doses of complex plant extracts within the spice category are not necessarily better, and in fact in some cases may actually have effects opposite to your expectation. One study, for instance, found that rosemary at a lower dose of 750 milligrams improved cognition, whereas a higher dose, 6,000 milligrams, interfered with it as used traditionally in culinary applications, passed down to us through generations as family recipes, may be more effective than higher doses. A perspective that obviously turns conventional pharmacological wisdom and practice on its head. This was from the greenmedinfo.com website with references including the International Journal of Food Science and Nutrition from 2014, February. This is Talking Back, and I'm Dr. Paula Sperry. Today we're reviewing some issues in the news. Next, a new retrospective study involving findings in Peru after promoting and then restricting access to ivermectin in COVID patients. This new peer-reviewed study was a natural experiment that occurred when the government of Peru authorized ivermectin for use during the COVID-19 pandemic. The results providing evidence of the drug's effectiveness and ability to reduce excess deaths. The paper, published August 8th in World Health Organization Curious, found a 74% reduction in excess deaths in 10 states with the most intensive ivermectin use over a 30-day period during the pandemic in 2020. When ivermectin was available without restriction, there was a 14-fold reduction in nationwide excess death. Then, when access to ivermectin became restricted by the government, a 13-fold increase in death was observed in the two months following the limitation of ivermectin as a treatment. These findings align with summary data from the World Health Organization for the same period in Peru. In Lima, where ivermectin treatments were delayed for four months after an initial pandemic surge, excess deaths only dropped 25% compared to the 75% reduction when this safe and inexpensive and effective drug was used in treating the pandemic. The researchers note that ivermectin distribution may have yielded such positive numbers due to the drug's ability to both prevent and to treat COVID-19. 
Ivermectin is a widely known and inexpensive treatment against many parasitic diseases. Scientists found that ivermectin bonds to the problematic spike protein of the SARS-CoV-2 virus, limiting its morbidity and infectivity. It's interesting to note that similar results were also observed and documented in Uttar Pradesh, India. Researchers here found that government teams distributing ivermectin in Uttar Pradesh, India, across 97,941 villages as a part of a COVID-19 management program home medication kit containing ivermectin, doxycycline, zinc, vitamins C and D3, and acetaminophen tablets. The seven-day moving average of COVID-19 deaths in Uttar Pradesh decreased by a whopping 97%. Total COVID-19 deaths per million from July 7, 2021 through April 1, 2023 was only 4.3 in Uttar Pradesh, treating with the ivermectin medication kits, compared to a 70.4 deaths per million in all of the rest of India. Compare this to our 1,596.3 deaths per million in the United States, using only the CDC and other government-recommended protocols. Peru had more comprehensive data, but the Uttar Pradesh data also provided strong evidence that using ivermectin may both prevent and potentially treat COVID-19. So why the vilification of this potential pandemic resource in our country? The average treatment cost for ivermectin is a mere $58. Do you think this has anything to do with it? The authors of the Hugh Curious study certainly do. Quote, the exceptional safety profile and low cost of ivermectin certainly support its use in Peru's operation and in Uttar Pradesh as an attractive national policy for COVID-19 mitigation. These significant reductions in mortality as achieved in Peru and Uttar Pradesh suggest that the impact of such a national ivermectin deployment would be observable within a relatively short period, unquote. But we're only okaying it for use right now in clinical trials, as stated by the World Health Organization. If you'd like to learn more about ivermectin's potential uses for COVID-19, The FLCCC's iCare protocol can be downloaded in full, giving you a step-by-step instruction on how to prevent and treat early symptoms of COVID-19. This was from the FLCCC Alliance. That's Frontline COVID-19 Critical Care Alliance Prevention and Treatment Protocols for COVID-19. Look them up, folks. You can find this information all on your own. And in a COVID-related study, here in the U.S., doctors remain perplexed as post-COVID heart issues continue to escalate. This from August 10th, 2023. As the pandemic is winding down, ongoing long-term effects of post-COVID symptoms are creating more questions than answers as the infection leaves some patients with lingering cardiovascular system problems, including blood clots, abnormal heartbeats, and stroke. 
What's surprising is that people who are fully recovered from COVID are nearly twice as likely to experience these problems, including younger adults, and doctors are scrambling to try to figure out why. What they don't know worries them the most. Will chronic infections like rheumatic fever add to long COVID issues? Will millions of young people who previously had no sign of heart disease whatsoever become lifelong cardiac patients? Or will the COVID vaccination and milder strains reduce the risk of long-term illness? The bottom line, according to Time, is that COVID-19 left millions with some type of cardiovascular symptom. You can make other positive heart-healthy choices that will protect your heart, blood pressure, and cholesterol, while scientists continue to search for answers to try to figure this out. This from Time, August 10th, 2023. tuned to WOMR at 92.1 and 91.3 FM on your radio dial, or perhaps you're streaming Talking Back Today at www.womr.org. You're listening to Talking Back, your alternative source for news and information, and my name is Dr. Paulus Berry. Now let's take a look at vitamin D. It's nature's sun-kissed superhero. This also, according to the FLCC Alliance, a great source of lots of information about many things that you won't hear about at your local doctor's office. Vitamin D plays a vital role in maintaining overall health with impacts ranging from bone health to immune function. It's a vital fat-soluble nutrient that plays a significant role in maintaining overall health and well-being as it can be synthesized by your body when the skin is exposed to sunlight. It's pretty interesting how that happens. You do need cholesterol, believe it or not, the bad cholesterol or HDL in order to pull this off. But if you have enough cholesterol beneath your skin, sunlight and the precursor, vitamin A, your body can manufacture vitamin D using a catalyst of sunlight, creating vitamin D right below your skin. Vitamin D is a group of fat-soluble hormones, the most important of which are vitamin D2, or ergocalciferol, and vitamin D3, which is cholecalciferol. Vitamin D2 is primarily obtained from plant sources and fortified food, where vitamin D3 is made in your skin, as we just described, when it's exposed to ultraviolet B radiation from sunlight. It's important for calcium absorption, essential for maintaining strong bones and teeth that regulates bone mineralization and helps prevent conditions like osteoporosis and rickets. Your immune function is affected by vitamin D because it plays a role in reducing the risks of infection and autoimmune disease. It can also prevent abnormal cell growth. Deficiency can contribute to muscle weakness and pain which increases your risk of falls and fractures. Low vitamin D levels have also been associated with an increased risk of chronic diseases like cardiovascular disease, diabetes, autoimmune disorders, and certain types of cancer. Studies have also shown a link between low vitamin D level and mood disorders like depression 
and Seasonal Affective Disorder, otherwise known as SAD. So how do we get enough vitamin D? First, determine your existing vitamin D level. That way, you'll know whether you need to supplement and by how much. Vitamin D 25 hydroxy is the most accurate measure of your vitamin D status with an optimum measurement considered to be above 50 nanograms per milliliter or NG slash ML. So ask your doctor for the vitamin D25 hydroxy test and make sure it's above 50 NG per ML. Spending time 20 to 30 minutes in the sun without sunscreen can help your body and skin to synthesize vitamin D. For a number of reasons, however, this may not always be possible or advisable. So make sure you're not on any medication or have other reason to avoid being in the sun for 10 to 30 minutes. Supplements can also be used as a way to get an adequate intake of vitamin D. This is especially true if you live in an area where sunlight is limited some or most of the year, like where we live here on Cape Cod. If you take more than 8,000 international units of vitamin D per day, you should also include 250 to 500 milligrams of magnesium with that daily dose per day. And some foods like fatty fish, salmon, sardines, tuna, egg yolks, and shrimp, mushrooms, milk, kefir, and cheese, they contain vitamin D, but it's not the ideal way to supplement. A 3.5 ounce portion of salmon, which is how much we normally would eat, only contains the equivalent of about 400 international units of vitamin D. So you would need to eat 12.5 portions to get that 5,000 international units of vitamin D to boost your level. Factors that can affect your vitamin D levels would be your complexion. Obviously, the lighter your skin, the easier it is for your body to pull off that make it under your skin technique of getting more vitamin D in your system. And this is probably why people further away from the equator have lighter skin. The darker your complexion and the more north you live off the equator, the more difficult it's going to be to get adequate amounts of vitamin D in your system. Genetics obviously playing a role. As we age, vitamin D is harder to produce with our skin. Our digestive systems, and sometimes it's not that we're not getting enough in our diet, we're just not digesting it properly and putting it to good use. And any medication that decreases your fat absorption or interferes with your cholesterol levels could impair your body's ability to produce the right amount of vitamin D. So what about vitamin D and cancer? Well, research suggests that there's a link between low vitamin D level and life-threatening conditions such as cancers. Vitamin D levels below 20 nanograms per milliliter are associated with a 30 to 50% increase in the risk of colon, prostate, and breast cancer, along with higher mortality rates from these cancers. People who live at higher latitudes are at an increased risk for vitamin D deficiency and are reported to have an increased risk of Hodgkin's lymphoma, as well as colon, pancreatic, prostate, ovarian, breast, and other cancers, and are also more likely to die from these cancers as compared to people living at lower latitudes. Vitamin D supplementation is thought to help 
with both the treatment and prevention. Vitamin D is a necessary hormone that plays a vital role in maintaining overall health, ranging from your bones to your immune system. While sunlight, fatty fish, and fortified foods are important sources, supplements can also be beneficial for those with limited sun exposure. However, it's crucial to strike a balance and consult a healthcare professional to measure and ensure optimal vitamin D levels for your overall well-being. I don't know who puts sun on the dark side, people. Check with your doctor and maybe get out in the sun a little bit more than you are. Don't be so afraid, especially if you're found to be below the 50 nanogram per deciliter level. This was from Vitamin D Deficiency in New England Journal of Medicine from 2007. Vitamin D effects on musculoskeletal health immunity, autoimmunity, cardiovascular disease, cancer, fertility, pregnancy, dementia, and mortality. A review of the recent evidence from the journal Autoimmunity Review from 2013. The National Institutes of Health Office of Dietary Supplements, Vitamin D Fact Sheets for health professionals. Vitamin D deficiency in Europe, is it a pandemic? From 2016. A vitamin D research article, The Sunshine Vitamin, from the Journal of Pharmacology from 2012. Vitamin D's effects on skeletal and extraskeletal health and the need for supplementation from the journal Nutrients from 2013. Now, here's an extra for you. The next time you sit down with a bowl of pasta and freshly grated Parmesan cheese, you might be eating a microchip. That's because the makers of the Parmigiano-Reggiano brand are implanting microchips into the casings of their 90-pound cheese wheels as the latest move to ward off counterfeiters, the Wall Street Journal reports. The original Parmesan cheese name is officially protected by the European Union and can only be used for an authentic product. Parmigiano-Reggiano must be made in a particular area of northern Italy's Emilia-Romagna region and with specific production standards and techniques. It also has to be aged for at least one year. Because of its world-famous reputation for quality, Parmigiano-Reggiano can be sold for more money than cheese simply labeled Parmesan. The imitation of the original commonly sold in the United States. The journal reports that the microtransponders are made of silicon and about the size of a grain of sand. They're being placed on the casein label, a food safe label commonly used in cheese production, which is placed on the cheese wheel. The microchip can then be scanned to pull up unique serial numbers that buyers can use to ensure they've got the real thing. We keep fighting with new methods, says Alberto Pecorari, whose job it is to protect the product's authenticity for a group that represents the Parmigiano makers, and he tells the journal we won't give up. The chips can trace the wheel of cheese back to where the milk that was used in it came from, the journal reported that the chips cannot be read remotely or used to track someone should they ingest it. Other industries are now also considering planning to use such chips, including the makers of drugs and car parts. 
<laughs> Go figure. Well, thanks again for joining me today, folks, on Talking Back. My name is Dr. Paula Sperry, and it's been my pleasure to present these issues in the news for your consideration. Never take anything at face value. Always do your own research. Know all the facts and then decide what to believe. The music we've heard in the background today is by Banco de Gaia, Farewell to Fajanistan, and the intro and outro music from Wally Batarao. Thanks for joining me. We'll talk to you again about something just as interesting next week. Stay tuned to WOMR. And if you'd like to hear podcasts of previous Talking Back shows, please go to www.womr.org, click on the podcast section, go to Talking Back, and all the shows will be there for your listening pleasure. We'll see you next week. Take care. Thank you for tuning into Talking Back. Talking Back is heard on WOMR Radio at 92.1 FM at this time each week. If you have news or comments to share, or you would like to be a guest on Talking Back, write, call, or email this station care of Dr. Paula Sperry, WOMR FM Radio, Post Office Box 975. Provincetown, Massachusetts, 02657. Or you can give us a call. We're at 508-487-2619 or 1-800-921-9667. We're also at www.womr.org online. Tune in next week. And until we meet again, please remember to love your body.